how you really feel. Hey everyone, welcome back to The V Word. Vagina, vagina, vagina. Today, we're going to be talking about something that we get a ton of questions about, both from patients and from our friends and family. Birth plans. The good and the bad. But first, the news. I'll go first. Okay. Okay. So, my news is actually um, about sort of the whole issue of the New York Times Magazine because it's the tech and design issue, and it's a lot focused on focused on what we can learn about from social media and new advances in technology in terms of healthcare. So one of the um, articles I liked the most was about um, how the internet has created more of a space for gender nonconforming people, and it's an article by Jenna Wortham in the New York Times Magazine on the 15th, and talks about basically like different people's journeys in finding their community from the internet and how hmm. that can be a really positive thing mm-hmm. for a lot of people who feel gender nonconforming but didn't know that that was out there and sort yeah. of creates this community that is across many geographic areas. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, in my news, maybe you've heard, um, is a new piece of legislation that is coming out of the Ohio State Legislature, HB 565. I think that's the right number. Um, basically, this is this bill that was passed in the Ohio um, State House back in March, or at least was introduced back in March, where um, it would essentially criminalize abortion after a fetal heartbeat. Um, but and, and I know this sounds like sort of old news, you know, what with anti-abortion laws left and right, but what, what's different about this one is that it's being referred to as the heartbeat bill. So as soon as a embryo has, right, because it's an embryo at this point still, has a heartbeat, that embryo is now um, thought to have the exact same rights as a living human being, which means that the person getting the abortion and the person performing the abortion could be um, legally, um, or I guess could be punished in a court of law Um, with the death penalty or life in prison. And while I know these are really focused on abortion, I think these have larger implications for how we treat pregnant women and how we balance the needs and wishes of pregnant women versus the sort of needs and medical implications for the fetus or embryo. And I think we can talk about that a little bit in birth plans. Yeah, totally. So so we're getting into birth plans today. Let's get right on track. But also, guys, we want to introduce today our producer, Bethany. Um... She has sort of been like a silent voice in the past, really just working um, with us on the backside, but she's got a lot of really cool stuff to say, too. So we were like, why aren't you talking more about me? <laughs> Hello, listeners. I am a producer with The V Word and so excited to help Erica and Jen um, in this movement, really, uh, to build community. Yeah. Awesome. Surrounding vaginas, vaginas, vaginas. Vagina, vagina, vagina. <laughs> oh, always. Okay. So. Okay. So first... What is a birth plan? So a birth plan is generally a thought out or written out version of a woman's and her partner's potentially preferences about all aspects of labor and delivery. And let's disclose up front that we each have slightly different feelings about birth plans in general. Like when we say birth plan, Jen cringes. I do. And I, know, I, and and I, I get feel, a, like a little uh, different feeling. I feel bad about it. Okay. So let me just say, I tend to be more skeptical of them. Um, because of a few reasons that we'll get into in a little bit, and Erica tends to not be as skeptical about them, but I think that to talk about it without honestly telling you how most, I shouldn't say most, I'm like, a lot of OBGYNs feel would be sort of dishonest. Yeah. Um, so it's something we talk about in the community, just like, like it's no big deal, and it's like, 
birth plans, why not have them? But when you tell an OBGYN that you have a birth plan, a lot of times the first response is like, deep breath, deep breath. And we'll get into why that, that happened. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, we're going to talk a little bit about our, our own experiences with birth. But, um, I think a lot of the reason for that is because many birth plans come off as really, um, antagonizing of the obstetrician and they come out as really skeptical that the obstetrician that or your caregiver has your best interest or would talk to you about anything and I sort of think of that as like that is the history of obstetrics of in in hopefully hopefully in like many years and decades past but still is happening we know in this country and other countries where women are not being asked what they want in birth women's preferences and women's thoughts about their own experience of birth aren't being accounted for and so women the birth plans are one of the ways that women have pushed back against this but as people who feel like we always try to take into account what women want and are always trying to make things women-centered in all of our care it sometimes feels like why are you attacking us of course that's of course we want what you want this is like so this is our view as medical professionals but so like bethany when you think about birth plans i guess if you hadn't i mean we should have asked you like before you heard this before you hear like this response what's your gut reaction to them or how do you like what's funny is because even without hearing your perspective i do in just in general and in knowing moms and having friends that are moms and I feel like it's always been portrayed as, well, this is my, I'm gearing up. I'm gearing up. Preparation. To, I'm, this is and my prep. And to like prep protect myself from my to, doctor. Yes. This is my prep. So I have a game plan. Yeah. And that's then right. going to be a conversation hopefully. But yeah, I but, feel like that's always been my impression yeah. of this is mom's time to gear up and be ready. And it sounds good when you, you know, when you phrase it like that. That sounds like, why wouldn't you do that? But to protect, I think going back to sort of like, why this feeling that you need to protect yourself from mm-hmm. your doctor is what we find offensive because we don't want you to need protection from right, us, right? right we want right, to feel right. like we're on the same team. And I think that's what a lot of women want to. Yeah. Um, so reasons that women give for creating birth plans include one, having an intentional process to think about what labor and delivery will be like and getting to like learn about the steps themselves. Two, to make it clear to healthcare providers what their preferences are, especially if you're not interested in something that is routine. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one of the things we think of is giving vitamin, a vitamin K injection to the baby after birth, which prevents bleeding but is a shot. Yeah. So that's something that is almost always done unless someone says explicitly right, that they right, don't want that right. done. Though though you should still be asked about it, right? Yeah, right, sure. You should still have to give consent. Three, to think through some contingencies. So this is especially done by serious planners who are like, if this happens, then I want this. If this happens, then I want this. Do you know, so I just delivered a baby like in the last couple of weeks. And the woman, she like she had been laboring with with a midwife, but she came in with a birth plan. And my first thought again was like, oh god, here we go. What does this say? But it was actually a C-section birth plan. Like she was oh. like, my birth is going to go the way it goes. I don't have control over that. But if God forbid something happens and I need a C-section, this is how I want the C-section to go. And I was like, clever. That's actually really smart. Like that yeah. is the kind of birth plan we should be working on. And especially for someone who's healthy and never has had surgery before, sometimes it can be a good process to like learn about what is involved typically in that and what preferences do I have about that because it's not something you would have otherwise thought about. Right. One question I have is when do you create a birth plan or is that something that your OBGYN would bring up or people just... Well, it depends, right? I mean, depends on how your OBGYN feels about it, where you are in the country, a lot of stuff. And I also think sometimes 
providers and including OBGYNs don't use the term birth plan like let's create your birth plan but hopefully in those last few visits where you're being seen like every other week or every week you're talking about sort of like what to expect and what your goals are what your what is important to you about a labor and delivery and so I think of that as that is what your birth plan is and it's essential but sometimes we don't say that word to women because we're sort of thinking like the negative connotations yeah and I think we're sort of thinking like what are let me tell you about labor and delivery like this is when you should take a hospital tour this is things that could you could expect and like what are what's important to you about this experience how do you want your partner to be involved who else is going to be in the room but it's I think it's such a good opportunity to flush out all of any potential misconceptions that someone has because maybe their friend told them something or they read something that made them assume that birth goes a certain way and assume that you're going to do the same thing for their birth or the hospital's going to do a certain thing. So even though we aren't saying what's your birth plan and discussing, we're hopefully doing the same thing. And if your provider doesn't bring it up in those last few weeks, I would encourage women to bring it up yourselves because the hardest time to bring up these intentions and these thoughts and these fears or these concerns or even just values is when you're in labor, arriving to labor delivery for the first time. Like everything goes out the window. Or it's just like, that's a hard time to discuss anything, especially like important values. And so the earlier you can discuss those things, the better. Um, so, okay, I want to get back to, like, the... Because I don't want to rub anyone the wrong way. But the the last thing we had mentioned, you know, needing this needing of... Feeling of that you need to protect yourself from your provider. That This is the thing that I think I feel the most sensitive about. And I want to, you know, full disclosure here, before I was an OBGYN, I was actually a doula. So I absolutely understand this desire to create a beautiful and unique birth experience. But in practice, since that time, what I've seen is that, actually with too many births, is that this assumption that the medical team, if left unchecked, is going to, you know, do the opposite or even harm you gets a little bit out of hand. And so the good part of the birth plan is that it can help you organize your thoughts, like we're saying, your intentions, your desires around birth. But the bad part is that it sort of promotes this idea that birth is this controllable event, that, um, something that you can completely schedule and direct, um, where in fact there is so much unpredictability. In fact, birth is predictably unpredictable. Um, when we set expectations that birth is going to go a certain way and then the real thing falls short of those expectations, it's incredibly devastating to, to a lot of new parents. And I, and, think, it, and I think that's the hard part for us as providers. Like, we don't want to disappoint our patients and having those strict expectations of how things are go, going sometimes sets us up to be like, we are going to have to disappoint you in some right. aspect of this. And we so, don't want to. Yeah, it's us disappointing them, but it's also this sense of failure, right? Like, yes. postpartum... Um, spoiler alert, we're, uh, one of the next episodes coming up is postpartum depression, but, and this leads into it really well. When you have this birth experience that was totally different from what you expected and what you spent the last month of your pregnancy cultivating on a piece of paper, it's like a setup for depression, you know? Totally. And I think we're not even talking about people who like intend to have like a non, no epidural birth and then end up having a C-section. We're talking about people who like think they're not going to need an epidural and get an epidural and feel like a hundred percent of failure because they had an epidural or like people who are like, I only want my husband in the room. And then their sister's there and they're like, Oh, I didn't protect my birth space. You know, like there's just like 
so many variations of that. And I think one of the most important questions that I talk to people about when planning their births is like, how do you cope with uncertainty? Yeah. Because I think part of our job as your provider is to like help you hold the uncertainty of labor. Yeah. Because there's so much you can't control about it. And spoiler alert for anyone who is not yet a parent, there's so much you can't control about parenting. So it's a good preparation for that. But it's a lot to hold. And that can be a very fearful space for a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And I think the earlier you start processing like how are we going to cope with that uncertainty and like how what are going to be our mantras around that what are going to be the questions we need to have answered in that time of uncertainty when we're sort of in this process um can be some of the most helpful things but that's not usually what people mean when they mean a birth plan yeah yeah so maybe it's a good time to ask you how was your birth, Erica? Erica, as you know, and maybe you can hear, still hear his little squeaks here. Baby is with us too, little baby boy. Um, Erica just gave birth to her second child. Yeah. And I, I caught it. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> I caught it. Yes, Jen was there. And I, it was just a beautiful birth, Erica. Can I just say, you, you made it look, you were like an earth mama, goddess, whatever. You That's were so, so strong. Nice. That is so nice. And I think one thing I think about with my own I've now given birth twice very differently is um that a mantra that my other OBGYN for my first delivery said to me all the time is that there's there's no competitive laboring and that is a really important mantra that I say to my patients all the time like there's no like winning labor there's no like winning birth right like there's no there's no ultimate goal that you've won or not won right yeah I mean Hopefully, you're healthy and your baby's happy, and that seems like winning. But I think sometimes when people share their own labor story, their own birth story, or hear other people's, there's this, like, urge to judge or to compare or to be like, whatever. You you didn't use an epidural. Yes, you must be stronger than I am. Or Or you, like had to get induced like sad for you you know like people instantly put their own judgment on top of it and so I will say my own soul searching of what I wanted for both my deliveries and different for both of them was to not be in the hospital very much Mm -hmm. because it was because you were in the hospital a long time the first time yeah well so I was in the hospital I'm in the hospital a lot in my life because that's where I work and I thought it would be I didn't think it would be great for me to be there as a patient just like that wouldn't be a good coping space for me. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like for me, I I wanted fewer interventions if possible, if everything was going okay. And so I know that the longer you're in a hospital, the more likely you are to have interventions just because a hospital is not somewhere you can labor for 80 hours. Hospital's not a hotel. It's not a hotel. And you being Oops. and being in a hospital in early labor seemed incredibly bad to me because you're like aware of everything you're like not sick but you're in a hospital like that was not appealing to me so I only wanted to be in the hospital in active labor mm-hmm. if possible mm-hmm. for both deliveries my first delivery I was in the hospital for a long time even though I did come in in active labor but ended up pushing for like many hours and eventually having a vaginal delivery mm-hmm. I got an epidural at some point that was magic I think I like my husband still talks to me about how much I talk about how the anesthesiologist was like a magician. It was yep, just like yep. I was like, Did you I say magician to... or vagician? Oh, I said magician. Yeah, he didn't do anything yeah. to my vagina okay. except make it just feel checking. so much better. Just checking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think for me in that first delivery, the epidural was like critical for me being able to have a vaginal delivery. 
And then my second delivery, where that Jen was present for, I mean, was so much faster. So fast. Which happens with second babies sometimes. Um, so much faster. And I didn't get an epidural. And You didn't have time to get one, even. And, so... and I labored outside of the hospital for a lot of it. And part of that was like... My husband was and Jen were getting worried I was going to have a baby outside of the hospital. You were walking in the cactus garden. I thought you might like deliver onto a cactus. I think okay. my husband. My husband also had like a contingency plan for that. But really, he's a pediatrician, so he was ready to like jump in. He's maybe. got a few babies in his life. What? But to On me, a that was like that was like <laughs> the right amount of uncertainty and the right way to cope. And you know, uh, luckily, I'm healthy after both deliveries. Both babies are happy. Yeah. So like ultimately that feels great to me but they were really different experiences but and I think that the main same point, goals <laughs> yeah the main point is that you were cognizant of and you knew sort of kind of what you wanted and you had already like resigned yourself to the fact that being in this field you know that things don't always go as planned and you're gonna be you know you're gonna be okay yeah when we I have to tell this story which maybe is too much but we my husband and I went to a birth class before my first delivery and we were supposed to be in this like group birth class and it got snowed out or something and we both have crazy schedules so we couldn't do the rescheduled date so we ended up having like our own class all about sort of like what to do in early labor which like wait like you just talk to each other no, no, no. With, oh. the, with the, like, instructor. With the instructor. I was like, we just call it a conversation in my house. <laughs> just... Yeah, yeah. We did mostly just talk to each other. Because the woman was like, basically, in early labor, you my, if you do not want to be in a hospital, basically you should just distract yourself. So she gave us, like, we created a list of, like, ten things to do if it was nighttime, ten things to do if it was daytime oh, nice. that would just, like, yeah. distract us in early labor. Yeah. And then, like, she, we went through some, like, positions to labor in at home. Um, but... She was like, okay, well, tell me about your fears and, like, concerns about labor. Like, this is a great space to explore all those things. And my husband is like, death. Oh, my God. And and I'm like, hemorrhage. Oh, my God. And she was like, thank God you guys were not in the group session. (laughs) She was like, everyone else says, like, epidurals or, like, IVs or other things. She was like, yeah. Death, hemorrhage. (laughs) And she was like, get out. Just stop it. So, but I mean. So I'm curious, did you both have birth plans? Yep. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Wait, I didn't really. I had I had exactly what I just talked about, kind of like this discussion with Jen this time and my other OB my first time of sort of like my intentions and thoughts. Got but it. I didn't write anything down, <laughs> but Jen did. I love how, luckily I've pulled it up in preparation for this moment. I love how the person who like was going to have like the most like traditional birth planning birth like didn't. She was just like had it all in her head and I like, I was like, I hate birth plans. I made one. <laughs> Okay, here, let me pull it up for you. Okay. Birth plan. It's entitled. Okay, I'm just going to skip to part two because I have... It's a multi-part birth plan. Part two. How's this going to go down? Number one. I'm V-backing. Unless my uterus rips apart. Don't let my uterus rip apart. Wait, wait Jen, what's a V-back? <laughs> my first delivery was a C-section. My second one was a vaginal delivery. If you, Vaginal birth after cesarean. Okay. Risk of V-back like a 1% risk that your uterus rips apart and you die. Well, maybe not die, but you know. But similar to how my husband and I are worth worried about death, Jen knows about the uterus ripping. Okay, number two. Also, no vaginus. That's like a vajassole. That's like where your vagina rips open all the way to your ass. Which happens. Also, <laughs> medically known as a fourth degree laceration. Okay, number three. <laughs> the following words or phrases are off limits in the laboring room. One, poop. Two, Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Vaginal pack. That's like where you hemorrhage and you need to pack your vagina with gauze. 
Number four, urology consult. That's like where they cut your ureters during the C-section. <laughs> These are all also things no one would want to talk about in a group Wait, birth time plan out. experience. I think, this is, I think this is hilarious. Bethany's face is like, <laughs> look of horror. <laughs> okay, number five. Your mother's here. She brought your whole Mexican family. <laughs> okay, in the event of a repeat C-section, I'm going to need my hands free so I can operate on myself because I'm going to need the most badass surgeon I know. <laughs> That's so real for you. I know. So good. Okay, number five. I would prefer no shaving in the pubic region. However, if shaving becomes necessary, please sculpt something into the shape of the Deathly Hollow symbol from Harry Potter. Simon's pubic hair, that's my husband, should not be shaved. <laughs> okay, number six. Either way this goes down, I'm going to need some purple mood lighting, like on Virgin America. That would be so good. Oh, except they're not in business anymore. Oh, sad. Okay. Oh, wow, you have a part three. Part three. <laughs> the afterbirth. Number one, Simon's Italian dad brought some San Pellegrino for the baby's first bath. <laughs> um, number two, I plan to eat all the cake in the hospital as soon as this diabetes-producing placenta is ripped from my body. Yeah, I had diabetes. If the cafeteria is not open, then I'm going to the It's It vending machine right next to the Wells Fargo ATM. Whomever procures the cake can be my first assist when I do my own C-section. Um, and it goes on from there. So. Wow. <laughs> And how did that delivery go for you, Jess? It was beautiful, actually. I'm just going to say. Did you have purple mood lighting? No, but it was also a beautiful delivery. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> did it bring you? So I feel like that's the birth plan you want to receive. <laughs> I mean, but I think it was sort of like, I gave this birth plan to all the nurses on labor and delivery and all the staff, and they knew me, right? But like, they knew it was a joke birth plan. And it, I think it was almost like this, like like relief or like warding off the warding off the evil but also like come on guys. it's kind of more my personality like let's not take this too seriously yeah, let's yeah. all just have fun which i think is a really good approach to birth and not everyone can get in that headspace though right yeah no. um so let's talk a little bit about what you should keep in mind or yeah. what you could keep in mind in creating your birth plan or in birth intentions yeah okay number one should we make a birth plan so we talked a little bit about like Yes, but don't make it the day before you go into labor. No. Make it across the last few months of your pregnancy so you really are searching about the answers to some of these questions. What what do I need most when I'm uncomfortable? What do I want to visualize or have surround myself with when I'm in discomfort or yeah. um or uncertainty, right? But also, I mean, like with anything, right? This is so individualized. So there is no right or wrong answer. If planning makes you happy, the answer is yes. If thinking about um, this in this much detail and, and with this much intricacy makes you anxious, then don't. Then just go with the flow, yeah. you know? And I think one great way to start that conversation with your provider, if they're not starting that with you, is to say, like, what typically happens in someone who has a delivery with my background? Yeah. And, like, what do you do in this hospital? Yeah. Some other questions that are helpful to know about your provider in your hospital is their C-section rate, mm -hmm. um, their approach to inductions. Like if you go past your due date, will they encourage you or recommend an induction or are they comfortable letting you wait longer? Right. How do they feel about if you have diabetes, when would they typically recommend you have an induction? Right. There are guidelines for this, but there's... Um, there's variability. There's variability. And yeah. I think those are all good questions for your provider instead of saying, you will not induce me. You right, know? Right. That's a better way to approach right. it. I mean, you're not like, setting up a good relationship right there. Right. Like, right. Let's just talk, let's, you know, start with basic communication. How do people like to be talked to? And this yeah. includes your medical team. 
Yeah. And this is part of what we're responding to when we say, like, we get real intense when people talk to us yeah. about birth plans because yeah. often that's not, not the trying voice. trying to hurt you. Yeah. Right. Okay. Next question. How do I make a birth plan? Say you decide to make one, you want to make one. Usually, um, a birth plan and, um, and labor and delivery when you get there is divided into few, a few parts. So we'll talk about typically what happens and some of the other requests that women and their families often put into this part. Um, so let's first, see. So yeah. first is early labor. Early labor, sure. And I talked a little bit about this in terms of my own little session with my husband and our surprise doula instructor, but early labor is basically when you're having contractions, but they're, you're still able to cope. So you're still able to talk. You're still able to walk around. And for some women, even this is too scary for them not to be in the hospital and they would rather be in the hospital during that time. Though we sort of discourage that because that can last a pretty long time in your first labor. And you're more likely to get medicalized if you're there for a long time. People want to keep things moving. Yep. And so typically our guidelines actually recommend that people are not in the hospital for early labor. Correct. Um, This is a little different, obviously, if you're more medically complex and we're trying to watch you more closely. But I think it's a great idea to make a list of things. This, like, 10 things you could do during the day. That's a really good idea. 10 things you could do during the night, depending on when you... What was on your list, though? I'm curious. So, like, our daytime things were, like, take a walk, eat spicy food, um, watch a movie, you know? Yeah. Um, We, like for some reason thought we could like play a board game (laughs) that didn't happen spoiler alert but um but we did take a walk we did watch a movie we um I think some people spend time with friends like you just want to be distracted basically yeah 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 um and then also for early labor if you are in the hospital thinking about how you'll be monitored right Okay, active labor. So now, um, it used to be that this was like four centimeters, but for a first-time mom, this is probably closer to six centimeters now, we think. The labor is really starting to change. The contractions are coming more frequently. It's more painful. Um, and you, you can sort of sense that transition, too. And you're less able to cope with contractions. Yeah. Like, now my new phrasing of pain is, like, not how much pain are you in, but, like, how, how well are you, are you coping? coping? Yeah, totally. Um, which Jen totally said to me. Did I say that to you? Yeah, oh, you did. How are you coping? Um, I didn't even know. My doula yeah. came out. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, bathtub. Does the hospital have a bathtub? Um, not all of them do, but sometimes that can be really helpful. Or even a shower. You have a yeah. shower in your room. Um partner support, uh, other support people. Have you hired a doula? Have you hired a midwife? Who, who are your support persons that you've hired to be there for you? And what role do you want them to play? Do you want your partner, you know, putting pressure on your back or guiding you through some meditation or talking to you? Do you want them totally quiet? And when they start talking to you, you scream, shut up at them. I may have done and that. Sometimes people's partners also need a support person, depending on the partner. Like there are partners that want to be like in it, totally my husband was like I want to be your primary support person which you know good and bad and (laughs) but there are also there are also men that have like no do not want to be involved in that and or Mm -hmm. don't or can't give you the things that you need yeah or partners not just men um and they might need a support person that's like making sure that they're getting enough to eat and drink and especially in really long labors Mm -hmm. that can be really helpful um pain so again how are you going to cope with the the sensations or the pains of labor? Is it your goal to have an epidural? Is it your goal to avoid an epidural? Is it your goal to just be flexible and, and see what happens and, and take your choices as they come? You want to sort of figure out what options the hospital has, including epidural, including IV medication. Some hospitals have nitrous oxide, um, which is that gas, like the laughing gas, um, and just sort of, you know, make sure that's known too. And typically, you know, the team that sees you for the first time in the hospital is pretty good about asking that. Um, 
And I think also a thing to think about um, with this is if you are not planning to have an epidural, so in the U.S., over half of women, over two-thirds of women. Yeah, it's like two-thirds. Depending on where you are. Um will will get an epidural during their labor process. And if you are planning to be in that group of women who really does not want an epidural to be part of their plan for whatever reason, A, know why you're not having an epidural be part of your plan because it's important to understand what that is. Is it because you're worried about it changing your labor course? Is it because you want to be able to move around? Because I think having the goal of why you're avoiding it, not just like this is this thing that I'm doing, is important. Right. And then the other thing is you will still have intense discomfort and you will still have intense contractions. And so you need to have another plan to cope with that if you're not going to take that away with medication. So whenever someone comes in and they're like, I don't think I'm going to have an epidural, but they haven't done anything to prepare, I always say like, Good well, luck. how have you prepared for yeah. for pain, coping with coping with the discomfort of labor then? And they're like, uh, that yeah. is that is questionable to me because it's sort of like going to run a marathon without having practice having or trained. warmed up or yeah. Is that totally. perhaps like one of the most common things people come in knowing or thinking they I I think it's one of the more controversial things mm-hmm. and I think maybe just, you know, in this part of the country where we are and probably in a lot of other places too, you see this like trend towards really wanting to have this quote-unquote natural birth when really what people mean is unmedicated mm-hmm. right all birth is natural all birth all birth is normal and and saying words like that I think sort of set you up to stigmatize birth and make you feel like a mm-hmm. failure when you don't really you know get what you're aiming for but but it is one of the thing that's more stigmatized um and people will often come in with with like you're saying a plan about it a plan mm-hmm. to not have one yeah it's never like well I it Sometimes it's, I'm definitely getting an epidural. Yep. Mine was, I'm definitely getting an epidural, you know? Um, yeah. But it's more often the latter. Got it. I feel like at least what I've heard is that is one of the more stigmatized things of, oh, well, I'm, I want to be strong enough to just. And, and that's what I mean by know why you mm-hmm. don't, why an epidural is not part of your plan. Yeah. Is it not part of your plan because you want to be seen as stronger? Seen yeah. as stronger by who? Your OBs mm-hmm. don't care. Right. And. And if it's if it's just to be seen as stronger, that seems a little weird to me. But if you want if you don't want an epidural as part of your plan because you want to be moving around more, that seems so reasonable. And of course, I mean, of course, we'll support it no matter what. But I think it sets you up differently. And one thing I always like to point out too, is that in no other part of the hospital, other than labor and delivery, would it be acceptable to ever let someone be in pain without offering them pain medication, without treating their pain? Like, think about this for a sec. But somehow we have set up this culture that to be a real woman, to be a strong woman, you have to not have an epidural, right? Other things in this part of labor that sometimes people think about are IV or no IV. And I would say the reason we recommend an IV is so that if you need fluids or blood or other medications, it's easier to give them to you. And sometimes it's harder to place an IV when people really need those medications. Other things people often write in their birth plans about this part is using or not using Pitocin, Mm -hmm. which is the synthetic form or the man-made form of oxytocin and can help make contractions stronger. Yeah. And I don't think it's anyone's intention ever to use Pitocin, but it can sometimes help people get to vaginal delivery. Yeah, I I think one of the things that people often have a misconception about is that Pitocin makes the the labor way stronger and way more painful than it needs to be. But the way I like to describe it is that you... 
your body is naturally going to get to, you know, to these strong levels of oxytocin. Your, your uterus will start to contract. These, these will be painful contractions. But if your body does it naturally, even if you aren't feeling it in the very beginning, this is like a multi-day process where your body is gearing up to that high level of pain and contraction versus if we do it externally to you, you can imagine like a slope, like we're taking you from here, zero to a hundred, much faster on a much higher slope. So you're going to perceive it as a lot more painful. And I think that this is what I like to, this is when I would like to talk about the three door concept that my midwife um, mentors talk about is that like door number one is like normal labor. Your body is going through everything mm-hmm. on its own, sort of the right timing in a way that you're able to cope, get through that first door of like great vaginal delivery. The second door is labor doesn't quite go according to plan mm-hmm. and you may need different kinds of help, whether or not that's an epidural to rest, whether or not that's another person being in there for support, whether or not that's like sugar um, yeah. or pedosin of like helping mm-hmm. your contractions be stronger. And the midwives that I worked with would call that walking through door number two. Okay. Like we're not... We're not at a high intervention, but there's some things that we can help make your intentions a reality. Yeah. And then door number three is more of like we're in a more highly medicalized world of C-sections or other interventions that are really this. We really are going to have to use modern technology to really help you have this delivery. I like that. And it was a yeah, and it was a great way to communicate with patients too of being like, I think we need to think about door number two. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so then the last part. So when it actually comes time to push. So do you have a, a preference to how you want to push? Do you want to be on hands and knees like someone I know? Do you want to be on your back? Do you, like, you know, other things like that that you may have preferences. Do you want a birth ball? Um, certain people in the room during that, that final stage, oftentimes they'll limit the number of people during the actual pushing. And that's because, God forbid, if there's an emergency, we need to rush in. If there's five, six people, um, support people in the room, it just makes for less room for the emergency um staff or the response staff um music you can imagine like insert whatever it is that you think is going to make this moment more beautiful here after delivery there's tons of things to think about too um one of the things alongside like you were saying epidurals that is kind of controversial and and comes up a lot more often are episiotomies and i think that you know it comes up so much because in history in recent history this used to be something that was so routinely done and in different parts of the country you know more rural places it it definitely still is but we don't do that anymore we don't routinely give people episiotomies at least at you know more urban places so episiotomy is where you're actually cutting with scissors I know oh my god Bethany's face again (laughs) cutting with scissors on the actual vulva to make more space for the head to come out Yes. And And you can imagine. this used to happen. This is something we're fighting against our history because it used to happen in almost all births. Mm -hmm. It used to happen with almost all births were used forceps and women were like heavily medicated. So there was very little pushing. Right. So basically people would, the baby would get to a certain position and the doctor would do an episiotomy, cut the vulva. And then forceps it And then forceps or pull the baby out. Imagine like that chloroform birth like um, that you saw in like Cider House Rules from like, you know, like yesteryear if the woman wasn't pushing and wasn't an active participant you had to have tools to basically do it for her that ex- kind of thing and it is exceedingly rare that we do yeah. those things right now yeah. like three it i think does, it's something like three to five percent yeah i mean it does still happen low. especially with like vacuum deliveries mm-hmm. you know but 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 it is more rare um and that's a great question for your obstetrician yeah, for sure. ahead of time how often do you do a pc for sure skin to skin this is something, so this is the baby, naked baby on naked mom's chest or a naked partner's chest. You can do skin to skin with anyone. But it's this newer idea that 
babies regulate their body temperature better, bonding is better, milk supply coming in is better if you can leave the naked baby on the naked mom's skin for at least an hour, the first hour after birth. So that means unless the baby is like struggling to breathe or anything, not going to the warmer, just putting the baby directly on the chest. And a lot of more modern hospitals, again, are trying to do this automatically, so you shouldn't have to, you know, specify this, but, but again, check with your hospital, you don't know. Delayed cord clamping. This is also another thing that is becoming more routine. The umbilical cord, not clamping it for a good solid minute to allow the most blood possible to get to the baby so the baby isn't anemic. Um, a lot of hospitals are really doing that as well, but check. Okay, um, I think that's a lot that we've gone through. I want to sort of um, end it with some fun stories. Erica, what's the best birth plan you've ever seen? Um, I have had several um, deliveries that I've gotten to be a part of where women have either like twerked to the Shut point up. of delivering their babies. Wait, they twerk their baby out? Yes. Or I had a woman who had, <laughs> yes, yes. I've seen this in real life. I've delivered these babies. Or Wait, I you've also... seen it multiple times. Oh, You're referring yes. to like plural twerks. Yeah. Twerk births. Twerk births. Oh Hashtag. Hashtag. Ah! Can okay. we put that, stitch that on a pillow? I want to, I want it I... on a shirt. Why didn't I have a twerk birth? I can't twerk. It's actually, yeah, it wouldn't can. have happened for you me. You could totally do it. Um, but then also I have had, um, one of my favorite deliveries was this woman who did soul cycle, but she had a soul cycle playlist for all of her pushing. So she had an epidural, but she was just like on it for the, like, Wait, she was on the bike. No, no, no. She had a soul cycle <laughs> playlist during her pushing, but like all the songs were just like pump up, like oh. awesomeness. <laughs> and she, it was just like so fun. I love it. And she was, she had an epidural, but, and so she wasn't she was like, an instructor. No, she was just like oh. a class participant and was, oh, but it was prepared was like really with a soul cycle playlist. Oh my God. Okay. Oh, yes. So music can happen? Is that, oh, yeah. I'm depending oh, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause that could change oh. everything. And her husband was really into it. He was like totally singing all the songs. Oh too. yeah. Let me tell you about a glitter birth. What? One time. <laughs> Actually, I've seen multiple of these too. This isn't just one. Yes. This was a thing for a while there. Um, so a glitter birth is where, and, and this, they're taking this from like the gay community where there was like a lot of anti-gay, um, propaganda going on. So I think it was the Bush administration where instead of resorting to like violent, um, responses during like these anti-gay rallies that were happening, the gay community would come and just like take handfuls of glitter and throw it at the legislators to just be like, as a way of protest, but like it. a nonviolent protest, right? A beautiful protest. A beautiful protest, a colorful glitter. So then several, a couple of years after people were doing this thing where you, like if you came in and tried to medicalize their birth, like if you tried to give them Pitocin, yes, what? I know, or something else. I love else, this idea. Something, do you? Hold on. Let's, <sighs> let me just tell you how it went down. They would throw glitter at you. Did you get glittered? I didn't, but my <laughs> colleague did. And like, so I was coming on the next morning on this one woman I can remember. And he's this like beautiful, tall black man with lovely dreads and his dreads are just covered in glitter covered. And I'm like, what just happened to you? Like, did you go you to a rave at work? On your like what happened? Um, and then he told me the story of the glitter birth, but the problem is glitter is basically like plastic like oh that's not good for the vagina but glitter glitter i don't know where it comes from i don't know how you get rid of it but it's not good for the vagina or the baby or the baby yeah you don't want glitter in no, your don't have a glitter birth i changed my mind yeah okay <laughs> well with that in mind <laughs> this is a 
has been a very educational episode. I <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Please send us your birth plan questions, Oh my comments. god, send me your birth plan. We know, yeah, send us your actual <gasps> birth plans. But we know this is like a... Only if it's good though. I don't want like the standard stuff. I want like, did you like have a brie and fruit plate at your birth? If you've loved this episode of The V Word, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at VWordPod, on Instagram at VWordPod, and send us an email, thevwordpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.